1,000 Better Stories. Welcome to 1,000 Better Stories, the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network's podcast sharing stories of community-led climate action in Scotland to help us all imagine a better and fairer future beyond the new normal and transform what we think is possible. I think the good thing about the Climate Cafe is that because it's so open to everybody, you know, there's that sense of equality, you know, there's no sense of what anyone being any different to anyone else, no matter what age they are or, uh, you know, or, or what profession they had had or, or anything. It's just everyone is equal there and everyone is welcome. And I think climate cafes are really, really important because, um, you know, any change comes from conversations. That's Carol Aitken, who coordinates the Climate Café in Pitlochry. I'm Philip Revel, and in this episode of A Thousand Better Stories, I've been trying to find out a bit more about what a climate café actually is, and how they came about. I've been talking to four women, Carol, Jess, Alison and Ruth, who are all active in the Climate Café movement. And they've been telling me about how the Climate Café idea came about, a little bit about how different climate cafes are run and why they think it is so important to create these sort of spaces in our communities. So, what is a climate cafe exactly? I started off by talking to Jess Pepper, who explained a bit about her own background and how she came to start a climate cafe in her own community in Dunkeld in Highland Perthshire six years ago. Well, I'm Jess, Jess Pepper. I um, I was brought up in Highland Perthshire, which is a really beautiful part of the world to be brought up in, immersed in a pretty magical, natural place. And I think probably my inspiration to take care of that place came from my home and particularly my family and my father who worked in this area, but also just was keen for us to learn and appreciate and value our our place. And I remember being probably quite formative years um, aware of some of the big impacts that we could make on our world. Um, you know, big disasters like Chernobyl happened when I was about 10 and how striking that was and how hugely impactful that could be on the people who shared that place and the all the species and habitats within it, but also how far-reaching that could be. The connections between people and place have always been quite um, a strong interest for me. I ended up studying Scottish literature and geography, which was an unusual mix, but it was that interaction between um, people and the land and their their place, which probably informed where I headed. So with the what I do for a living is um, has been in the environment sector for, I've been working in the environment sector since just after the start of devolution and then I had a break and I trained as a climate reality leader with Al Gore um, former vice president Al Gore in 2013 and I had just had my children and that's really where I started to get involved in community work and connect up with that international network as well. 
a climate reality leader. What is that exactly? Yes, yeah, so there's now about 30,000 climate reality leaders around the world, all of whom have been trained by Al Gore and the organisation Climate Reality, the Climate Reality Project, which was set up by um, Mr Gore in, oh, I don't know how long it's been around now, but he set it up with the Nobel Peace Prize money and the money from his film An Inconvenient Truth. And the idea is that he shares a deck of slides which capture the science, the impacts and the solutions. And these are regularly updated and shared with people all around the world. He tends, when we're not in a pandemic situation, to go to different continents um, where that training would be most valued and train people um, with a whole bunch of workshops and additional training. Um, often in sessions of hundreds and now creeping over a thousand people at a time. So it's an incredibly exciting international networking opportunity, often having 70 odd countries represented at one event. And while we've been in the pandemic, um, these have gone online. So now there's been a few global trainings and there's another two coming up this year. But that gives us, as a climate reality leader, which is what they call folk once they've done the training, um, that gives you access to a deck of slides that are regularly updated and reviewed by scientists, um, but accessible to everybody. So lots of stats and data, but also stories, film, images, which connect with everybody. So as a climate reality leader, you know, the opportunity is there and you're encouraged to just take those slides to whoever would like to hear them. So I um, see and hear them. So I took the presentation to communities to living rooms um, workplaces and shared them and you know if people wanted a climate reality talk like transition Linlithgow um, I would take the presentation and have bring it to that audience and what I realized quite quickly was that once you'd had the conversation really I was just bringing a resource and sharing it with folk and then quite quickly a really animated conversation would happen and there's something nice about everybody having had the presentation and that some people may have come as climate experts to that talk, but others, you know, will be perhaps hearing things in the news or, you know, in their own lives. And actually, it just gives everybody the opportunity to connect the dots and feel confident in their own knowledge about climate change and what's happening and why it's happening and what we can do about it, what the solutions are. Um, and I was seeing more and more that communities, you know, groups or places were kind of springing into action, having this really animated conversation. And actually, in that one evening or that one space, that maybe wasn't enough time to really get going on the conversation. Um, as people were bringing all their own skills and perspectives and understanding of their own area to what would really work or what would work for them or what they might be able to do together. And this is where the idea came about to just create a space which um, could continue that conversation. And that became even more stark when I did it in my own community, because, of course, I was still in the place after I'd done the talk <laughs> and people could stop me and say, you know, we were talking about that the other night. You know, could we do something about this or oh, I've got an idea about whatever. And um, I just thought that probably happened I don't know, several times, maybe a dozen times. And um, I realised that it was better for these folk to be talking to each other rather than just to or through me. And that was where we came about creating the space.
so when we first met, um, before the Climate Cafe got started, I um, invited a dozen of those folk who had stopped me in the street to come together and talk about what, you know, what we might do here and whether they would like a space to get together and connect on this stuff. And that's when, you know, people were really keen to just continue to to go ahead and do that and create that this space and call it a climate cafe partly because it did what it said on the tin we weren't going to talk about other things we we're going to talk about climate and we were it was going to be a cafe like feel um and it was just before that we heard about death cafe and realized that actually right enough people do value the space to talk about these really difficult topics and you know what could be more um urgent to talk about than um climate so um Yes, but at that first meeting, what was interesting was that folks said that we don't want to just talk, we want to act as well. So while there's no formal requirement as to what action or ticking boxes or writing notes about achievements, actually what we did in those early months was gather ideas that came from those who were participating in the cafe. And when there was the energy and capacity for folks to take on those ideas or an opportunity, then they would, they would move forward. So, what should I expect if I come along to a climate cafe? You should expect a, a welcoming space, an open, um, non-judgmental space. The cafe concept is that it should feel relaxed, that you can drop in, you can contribute, you can sit and listen if you like. It's quite a simple model in that we create the space, so that might be in a community centre or a church hall or a garden or an orchard or a whatever it feels right for your community um and there'll be a cup of tea and a plate of biscuits and really that's it there's nothing no you don't have to bring anything do anything it should be free and accessible for everyone to participate whatever your age or connection to the to the topic so as most as many folk as possible can join the conversation and and chat together it will, the cafe itself will evolve to suit the people who attend and the role of the coordinator is really to set up the space, ensure that everybody is feeling welcome and ensure that everybody gets the opportunity to be involved and to participate. But beyond that, it's a gentle, light touch, um, ensuring that everybody, yeah, is feeling, you know, happy and relaxed. Next, I spoke to Alison Stewart. Alison lives in Aberdeen and runs Aberdeen Climate Action. I'm Alison Stewart from Aberdeen Climate Action. Myself and Eric Dalhausen started Aberdeen Action, Climate Action even, um, in the autumn of 2014. Wow, a long time ago now. Um, and we set it up because we suddenly, kind of really suddenly hit me anyway, um, how little time we had left and I had to do something to make the world livable place by the time my kids were a bit older. So we set that up um, and so about a year and a half, two hours, two years later, we started the Climate Cafe. It was thanks to a conversation with Jess that the Aberdeen Climate Cafe came about. We had been pondering about it over time, but we had um, started to do climate, Aberdeen Climate Week, which has now morphed into um, Climate Week Northeast. Um, and as part of that, we invited Jess Pepper up, who's a climate reality leader, among other things, um, from Dunkeld and Burnham. And 
we were just chatting to Jess and she was saying about her climate cafe and we really liked that kind of idea, although we've got slightly different structure. Um, so it kind of pushed us to do a climate cafe. Once we started doing the climate cafe, we suddenly got a lot of traction and a lot more volunteers. I was keen to find out a bit more about what form a climate cafe actually takes in Aberdeen. Yeah, because a climate cafe, ca- cafe could be anything anything you want, really. Um, but in our context, what, what we do is bring, the whole ethos is that we want to showcase what is happening here in the Northeast, that people understand what a topic is, but also ha- what can be done about that in a way that makes them realise that it that these people that are doing stuff aren't, aren't above them anyway, they're just people like you and me. So bring it down to their level and really give some practical examples of how you can put into practice what more academic people are speaking about, basically. So for instance, our very first climate cafe was a brilliant one. We did it on community energy. Um, And so we got um, two directors from different um, community energy um, projects here in the Northeast to come and speak, one on the Donside Hydro, the other one on the Huntley Wind Farm. And then we also got an academic to speak about how other communities in Scotland were doing community energy. And so we had that kind of vibe and we also wanted to make it a coffee shop vibe. So we had tea and cakes there and coffee that um, we started off in Waterstones, but unfortunately we had a few different ways we had to move because of store closes, closing, et cetera. So we, we, we have people speak and we now have got, got the kind of model down to three people speaking for about 15 to 20 minutes each. And then about an hour or so of questions and answers afterwards until we stop. <laughs> because it's always really, really good discussions in the Climate Cafe. And right from the start, we had about 80 to 100, or just over 100 people come pretty much every time, which is really good and really showed the need for it. And with people coming all from all over the Northeast, so from over an hour away, they come into the centre of Aberdeen to come to the cafe um, because there wasn't really anything else going on in the area. And from that, they, they got a lot of support um, and contacts and confidence, and it really helped them grow different climate action groups within the city and shire. Wow, 80 to 100 people. Those are impressive numbers to regularly have turning up. I was wondering what sort of space they're able to use to hold these events. Well, yeah, so we've we've met first at Waterstones and we're very lucky that we've had support from so many different organisations that will give us the, the, the space for free because we're, we don't have any money, basically. We're unfunded. Um, so we get have to get everything for free. So we started off in Waterstones and they had a really great space and we loved that space. Um, and we actually sold teen cake, homemade cake each week. Um, but then they moved into an, another space that didn't have big enough space for our climate cafe. So then we moved into a charity cafe, but then that closed. So then we moved into Belmont, but um, kind of Cafe Bar, which is our local kind of cinema, who's been really good at always supporting everything that we do, Climate Week and everything like that. They're really good with the kind of local groups. Um, it's just big enough. It's a real squeeze. So uh, I don't know what we're going to do when we, if we go, well, we are going to go back in a blended way, um, I think, but we have to work out that. So after Zoom, then we'll have to see, but the spaces that we currently use aren't big enough for us all. So we'll have to maybe rethink that. But, we've, um, but the moment we are on Zoom and, and that can be, we generally get probably I'd say 60 to 100 um, coming to that from all over the world. And it's been great for that um, and be able to get speakers from all, the, all over the world. For instance, on Tuesday at our Climate Cafe, we had a professor from Stanford University come and speak, which is really quite amazing. 
So it's opened things up, but there are reasons why a face-to-face cafe um, is better in some respects, because then you get the mingling, the socialization, the kind of more of that networking and support. And I was curious to know how frequently they hold climate cafes, who comes along, and what is involved in organising such big events. So we have our climate cafe every first Tuesday of the month between seven and nine. We, we, we used to have quite a lot of students, but we don't tend to get them as much now we're, we're virtual and we get um, people from all ages. Generally, it's probably younger people and older people um, and some from the kind of, um, I would say, 40s, late 30s, 40s, 50s. So people with kids, young kids don't tend to come, except for me. Um, but we we get yeah, it depends on the actual topic because we get people coming for the topic as well. So we get people that come like pretty much every climate cafe and they get, then we get the people that come for that particular topic. And so that changes. So we used to all organise it in, in the days when we were a bit smaller. Um, but now what, what we do is ACA has a kind of team based structure. Um, and so Adam and Bob run our climate cafe that there are kind of leads. And then they have about, I don't know, it depends eight people within the team and how that works is we all people from ACA can put in ideas of what they would like the next climate cafes to be um, and ideas for speakers and then the team works on getting speakers and the program what we used to do when we used to have flyers we, we used to have a six month flyer so it would always be that six month ahead in in organizing the climate cafe um, and that allowed people to be able to organise. Now it now we don't have that because no one's got flyers. We just tend to do it through our, through Eventbrite and our Facebook, um, and we tend to always have the next one up, um, one at least one month in advance. Next, I spoke to Ruth Hunter Pepper, chair of Sustaining North Berwick. Their climate cafe is an altogether smaller and more informal affair. Although they've taken a break from running cafes through lockdown, they're about to restart their physical meetings in a local cafe. We've we've been in several different places, but we generally go to a local cafe um, and people just come in. We start at 11 o'clock on a Sunday. It's normally the second Sunday of every month. And people come along and... um, buy their own coffee, buy their own snack, then bring kids and deposit them at another table or, you know, so it's just, it's a part, it's a very relaxed thing. So people don't feel it's a formal meeting, that they don't have to commit to a two hour meeting, but they can come and the chat will develop from there. So if somebody will go through um, where we are with certain projects at the start of the meeting, and then we'll just open up to general discussion so we're in a cafe situation we have held it um in houses um depending on maybe if we're near to the completion of a project or we really need to have a very focused chat um, a particular group will go off and have another meeting about that but the climate cafe generally is in a in a in a public space if you like that people can come and go as they please if they have other commitments which is often the way at the weekend and they can only maybe stay for half an hour. That's totally fine. They can come and perhaps throw an idea in that we can pick up again on the, the next sessions. So we find it's a really relaxed form that people can just come along and learn more, share more, 
and that in turn will lead to more projects being fulfilled. So it's it's worked really well for us. Again, I was curious to know more about the sort of people that come along and what attracts them to come on a Sunday morning. Oh, all ages. Um, all areas of interest too. I see people that have had quite an involvement with environmental issues will come along. People that are concerned about very specific things um, and have a, a growing curiosity about what's happening, what they're hearing in the media, what they're reading about, what their children are coming home and sharing with them. Um, and, and there are children that come along too and will interject in the conversation and when they get bored, they'll go to another table and play or draw. Um, so yeah, it varies a lot. I would say it goes across all ages and people at different, at different stages in their own journey too. Um, and that makes it really interesting because you're having people there that have their own connections and their own networks. So when you're discussing something, people will say, well, I know such and such, or couldn't we speak to so-and-so? And that's really helpful. And so the more open the discussion is, I think the, the further we get in a shorter time. And that's always, I think, quite crucial when you're talking about community groups, the things that are really um, in low supply or time and money. So I think anything that we can make you know, do to, to help progress things quickly and efficiently um, is always is always a really good thing. And do people really want to talk about climate change? I think I think there's there's more willingness now. I think that the you know I think obviously we're we're not gonna perhaps have people turn up that are um, climate change deniers that they're going to you know be people that arrive and say well it's all China's fault and there's nothing we can do and what's the point we haven't attracted any of those people so I think you know it has its limitations but I think that there is I think having the informality of the situation really helps because people can come feeling that they don't know an awful lot but they know a lot enough to make them interested, concerned, motivated to change. So I think that, you know, the more relaxed and welcoming the forum is, the more likely those conversations are to happen. Because um, as with anything, you know, if it's a chat in a playground situation or in the church or walking the dog and, you know, it's a bit like, talking politics you know you you don't necessarily want to be the first person to raise the issues of concern but very often the minute you do have an opportunity to do that you find common ground really quickly and I think if there's a feeling that people are learning from each other and not being talked at I think there's a more they're, they're more receptive and they're more willing to look around it and see how maybe they could make a positive change however small and I think that's the thing we keep sort of going back to it's like 
you know, whatever, whatever you do is a progression because you're doing that thing now that you weren't doing before. And no, you don't necessarily have to, you know, get rid of your car and turn into a vegan and, you know, and, and never go on holiday again. But let's look at how maybe you can get some more balance in your life and have a look at these possibilities. Empowering people to to feel, first of all, they can have the conversations. And then second of all, they can actually, it's not so overwhelming that they can actually do quite a lot of stuff if they just put their mind to it. This informality and the flexibility of the format to respond to the interests and concerns of those that come along is picked up on by Carol from Climate Cafe Pitlockery, who we heard from right at the start. It's, you know, it's informal, it's friendly, um, it's, it's really welcoming. That saying about no questions, you know, there's no stupid questions in that. Well, that's it, you know. And, and if somebody's got an interest, say, you know, they wanted to know more about, say, a water campaign or, or you know, waste, what we've done is that then I've gone or some, maybe someone else has gone to someone and said, you know, you fancy doing a presentation for us because we're really interested in the subject, um, then, you know, we'll, we'll get a person in and, you know, we'll find out more uh, about that subject. So she likes to create things. So. so why does Carol think it's so important to create these spaces in our communities? I think after, from my own perspective, I think from being interested in climate change and the environment for so long, um, I mean, that was the reason why I, I went to uni and, and studied interior environmental design. Um, and I, it's fantastic having somewhere like the Climate Cafe. It's a space I never thought that that we would have um, because, you know, we've been at the university and that everything was like academic and... Uh, and I kind of realised that it was great that that you know the, that the students were getting trained in this now, but realising that actually everybody needed to know these things. At what, but they didn't need to know it at that at university level. They needed to know it, you know, a level, you know, at their level, you know, whatever level that may be. And um, that's what the Climate Cafe does. It keeps things simple. It keeps things understandable it makes um it helps to it helps the awareness and understanding uh, to to spread about climate change and what people can do and and it also helps people who are concerned about it and thinking one person can't do anything on their own and you actually realize that actually you can but it's nicer when you find a group of people who are um are thinking along the same lines and have the same interests um but they don't know how to do it either. So getting together, it just means that, you know, it, it, it gives you that confidence. It provides support. It provides guidance. It provides, um, you know, you come along to a climate cafe and you talk about things that you wouldn't be able to talk to your friends or that with because you'd be too scared or they might they might poo-poo you. But in actual fact, in the climate cafe, nobody would because they understand. You're, you're finding like-minded people um, who understand you and uh, they might not be aware 
you know, everybody's awareness of climate change and, and the environment are, are all different. But I think it's just that interest, you know, a, a more understanding that you can talk about anything and and people will listen to you uh, and will let you talk. And I think that's really important because I think one of the things that we all find is if we keep things inside, it actually makes us feel worse, whereas being able to share a concern makes a whole lot of difference. Well, it seems clear to me that every community really ought to have a space of this sort, where people can have honest conversations about the huge challenge we face and can get together with others to plan and take action. So I wondered what advice Jess has for how I should go about starting a climate cafe in my own community. So we recommend that, um, and this, you know, we're constantly learning and very happy to share learning. So if um, we've shared some guidance and support on our website, really what you need is um, a space, a kettle and a plate of biscuits. But we often recommend that it's a nice idea to get people who are coming, who have different networks of friends and contacts within a community so that you're getting a nice variety of folk coming together to talk right from the beginning. And also just sharing it between two or three coordinators is really great because you can get different perspectives on, um, you know, what's the conversation and um, to be able to find speakers or um, other ideas to bring into the, into the mix. But really, it should be very easy. We're happy to guide and support and share our learning and experience. And actually, for a lot of people, just that first meeting, just that first or not meeting, uh, that first gathering where you're getting people together can be quite nerve wracking because it's not got a really strict structure. You really are inviting folk into a space just to have a conversation. So we suggest two tools for that. One is to offer the climate reality presentation at the beginning to enable everybody to feel on an even keel with the conversation and not to feel that there are experts and that I'm not an expert, but everybody has their own climate story. And um, and also to, you know, maybe have a session with another climate cafe where you can see how, it, how they run and um, you'll often get the support from another coordinator who can be reassuring and getting that cafe going. So it should be simple and not cumbersome, um, but easy and pretty informal. And then it will find its own shape according to the community or workplace or campus that you're working on. Clearly there's lots of informal networking and mutual support between climate cafes. Carol told me more about how valuable she finds this. Very important. I think that um, as, a, as an example, in Pitlochry, uh, because it's been a tourist town and because, you know, there's there's lots of cafes and, you know, can takeaways and things like that. So a lot of waste uh, is produced here. Um, so we were interested in waste um, because it's been a tourist town and because North Berwick is a tourist town. And Ruth and, and the group have been going there for five years, something like that. Anyway, mm -hmm. they've been going for a lot longer than we have. So we were able to go to them and say, about about takeaway packaging so she did a wee presentation a couple of months ago just to help us with finding out more information that we could provide our accommodation providers with uh, so that is that kind of thing it's about sharing information but it's also about the support 
you know, n- knowing that we can just phone up, like I can phone Kay and Blair Gowrie or Jess or that and say, I have an issue here, or I just, I just feel tight, you know, just tired of it all. And you just got someone else to talk to. It's, it's great. I think it's really, really important to have a mm-hmm. network. And I, I guess it goes back to that, um, that tribe thing and, you know, how much can one person do? It's, and, and feeling so alone actually um, for so long and then, you know, just kind of being part of this network is really, really important. A new Climate Cafe website has recently been launched at www.climate.cafe. If you just want to find out a bit more, or if you're interested in starting a climate cafe in your own community, then this provides a great place to start, with lots of useful resources and a point of contact for support. If you are already running something like a climate cafe, even if you call it something else, then you're encouraged to get in touch and join the network too, as Jess explains. Explore the website and uh, yeah, come talk to us if you want to. I think we're one thing is that just aware that there's lots of these kinds of conversations going on, and really we've created the website to give folk a platform to connect with what others are doing. We're pretty relaxed about it. It's the if to use the um, and in fact, you know, we're inviting folk to join us and you know feature on the website as well and connect with others. Um, and if you want to do that, just acknowledging that you're you're cool with the ethos, that actually that's the same ethos that everybody. So if you see a climate cafe and have that branding, which folk can take on, um, then you know that it's going to be a safe space. You know that you're going to be welcome. You know that it's going to be one thing which we, you know, receive feedback for, for a lot, which is really interesting element of the climate cafe. Um, our climate cafes is that we the feedback on sort of mental health and well-being, being plugged into something, feeling part of a greater shift and being able to talk and being able to do things. We know that these things help people manage the, you know, the overwhelming challenge sometimes of what um, we need to do for uh, the climate emergency. So yes, we encourage folk to, to use the, the term, connect with us if they would like to do that. And um and yeah, be featured so that we can connect more people up because that's the that's the beauty of it. Back to Ruth for the last word. Don't be don't be scared, just do it and and, and see what happens. Because I think that the great thing is you you'll meet lots of interest. It'll enhance your experience of your own community and also you'll you'll open yourself up to loads of new ideas and things that maybe hadn't occurred to you if you're quite a small core group because you're all coming at it and you're quite focused and I think what it does is like opens you out to say or maybe it's stuff that you've thought about but you just haven't focused on so I think just basically you've got nothing to lose I mean I think it's a, a really good opportunity to open up a new avenue of discussion and get people talking. And I think that everyone now realises that communities are ideally and perfectly placed to make real, real change. I think we're we're, we're where it's at. And, you know, I think if you can harness enthusiasm in your community, that's just brilliant. And uh, the Climate Cafe is a good tool for doing that, I think.
with many thanks to Jess Pepper from Dunkeldon Burnham Climate Cafe, Alison Stewart from Aberdeen Climate Action, Carol Aitkin from Pitlochry Climate Cafe, and Ruth Hunter Pepper from Sustaining North Berwick. And do be sure to visit the climate.cafe website for more information. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like and maybe even a review. It will really help us reach a wider audience. If something exciting is happening in your own community, be sure to let us know so that we can help you tell your own story. Or maybe you would like to join our brand new Storyteller Collective. You can drop our Story Weavers a line at stories at scottishcommunitiescan.org.uk. To keep up to date, check out our website at scottishcommunities.org.uk or find us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram or simply sign up to the newsletter.